Anna, Anna. It's like something. It's like he created melody in me. So for him, for for Elton to say this is one of the most beautiful songs and the melody is amazing. My heart is so full right now from Elton. So I'm everything. Feels great, right? Yeah. <laughs> I am so glad. I am so glad to hear you say that because, as yeah. he was saying it, I got emotional because I yeah. really do. No, you know, and you know how I love your band, but I believe this is one of the best love songs ever written. I really, truly do, Miley. Who, when you are now being asked to do this song, and you know the importance of this song to the band, um, who do you sing it to? Do you do, do, do you just kind of sing it, or do, or do you have to have someone in mind? No, I when I first started covering this song, it was for Glastonbury because it's about honoring music and nothing else matters at that moment. When you're at Glastonbury, any of the shit that is said about me, it's my moment to kind of prove myself because mm -hmm. it's just focused on the music. And when I did Glastonbury, it was the first time that I went. I didn't have any of the gags and no gimmicks. I wore pants. And a shirt. I had clothes yes. on. I didn't know how that was going to go and be received. How that uh, go? And I brought, instead of bringing, you know, any dancers or extra bits, I just brought my sound wall and I had just a fuck ton of amps. And I, I think I even started my set with a cover, which I didn't know how my fans would receive that. But at that moment, and it was right before actually that the world knew that I was getting a divorce, but I knew that I was about two weeks before Glastonbury. And um, I had just lost my house in the fires and this was my first show back. And so I, nothing else matters to me was about the music because, you know, this whole conversation is just resonating with me to hear like James say that he was afraid of something and knowing that at that point I was afraid of so much. Um, I had started my set with Amy Winehouse, then did Black Dog, did Nothing Else Matters. I had a lot of covers, but that's because at that point, Glastonbury was what was giving me life. I was so heartbroken and my purpose was coming from this performance. Um, I got sober at that time. I really pulled my fucking shit together. And this song was what drove me to that place because I knew that that nothing else mattered. My my life in in regards to love was kind of falling apart, but I had my love for music. So this is my love letter to music. That's what it means to me. Oh, wow. That's great. I can't wait for you guys to do this together. By the way, you mentioned sobriety. Have you? I don't know. I don't know how close you guys are, but have you ever talked to James about sobriety? We haven't. We just hung out yesterday. We got really drunk. No, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> no. James, because I've talked to Miley about this. Yeah. I think Miley's definition of sobriety is you can smoke a little weed and be sober. Now, everybody has a different line for sobriety. Only am if I right? my mom blows it in my face. That's the only right. time I smoke weed. Keep it in the family. James, yeah. uh, uh, James, as someone who's been sober a long time, is Miley right on this? Can you smoke weed and be sober? Uh, the truth. I only smoke uh, CBD. Only smoke I don't CBD. care. <laughs> CBD. CBD, ABC, whatever. But, uh, don't the, ask James, me. I don't know shit, okay? I really don't know. You definitely know don't want to be this face of sobriety. Know <laughs> I know what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Well, I'm still discovering what doesn't work for me. Uh, still trying to find out what works for me, actually. I like that I've, answer I've that there's out not. All the fucked up stuff. <laughs> I like that What's answer that it's all part? individual. How do I live? Well, How do I do this for me? I don't know what works for you. I'm going to ask you, hey, what do you do when your head's in this place? Or blah, blah, blah. And I'm still learning. I'm teachable, super teachable at 50. Where am I? I don't remember. 58. <laughs> and are you, know, you 58? I think so. <laughs> wow. That's unbelievable. You're 58. Go yeah, figure it out. No, I ask so about sobriety man. because I think Miley, and by the way, Miley, I want to compliment you. Your outfit at Lollapalooza, you had that Gucci outfit on? Yes. Uh, yeah. Very, very attractive. Now, listen, I, I complimented myself beforehand. I, I, I look at you in a fatherly way. When oh, you put I on heard. These yeah, when I, when I, I'm telling you, I mean, your mom, no. Your mom, I would do in a second if she'd have me. Oh, <laughs> I, have you guys met Miley's mom? No. <laughs> no you don't want yet. your mom with Metallica? 
No, no. I just <laughs> no. played Bottle Rock, and I went yeah. on at the same time as Guns N' Roses, and they were asking me if I was worried about that. And I said, no, you know, different audiences. No one's going to be divided. And my mom goes, except for me, but I'm seeing GNR. And I never saw her for my entire show. My mom is a groupie, not my groupie, but, yeah, so she, she only comes to these festivals so she can see the bands that she likes. I see. So were you, afraid to introduce, yeah. were, <laughs> were you afraid to introduce her to Metallica? I mean, these guys, uh, you know, they're very masculine. Uh, who knows what they would do with your mother? It would be No, but it, I was would, telling them when I was on your show the first time, I couldn't find my mom, and all of a sudden I heard her country ass in all the speakers around the building. And I'm like, where is that coming from? And she was sitting there doing an interview, which should never happen again. <laughs> right. Well, look. <laughs> Guys, oh, I think Mom. this is great. Now, let me be clear on this, and maybe I have it wrong. When Miley recorded this song for your for your album, you know, and and it's a it's a thing for charity. We'll get into all that. But um, when Miley recorded it, you guys, um, you know, she did most of it with Elton John. I know Robert, you were on the track and everything, but I don't, Miley, you've never actually performed this track with Metallica, have you? No, I think actually, Robert, you were there cutting right before or right after I was doing vocals. You were right. over at Watts. Yeah, yeah. Um, Andrew had asked me to play bass on it, and uh, and I thought it'd be an honor. Um, it, it, Elton came a little bit after, mm -hmm. and that was oh. really icing on the cake. Um, it just kept getting better wow, and like more the layers. Core of the song, though, how'd yeah. you guys do that? Andrew. Uh, Andrew pretty much Do you know I recorded basically to a click track because yeah. they were like we don't know who's going to be on this song. Right. Oh so I God. did this in my home studio um and basically to pretty much a click track. Uh, explain they, to and, the and audience then, what a click track is Miley well, why, because we don't understand. It was basically it was basically just time with no instrumentation and no, yeah oh. basically and no music so and what, you know, usually he overpromises and does deliver, usually, but he was saying, yo, yo, ma's gonna be on it, Elton John's on it. I'm like, this is not happening. Well, I'm just gonna do my part because I told Lars personally that I would. Right. And I'm gonna know that I did my part, but none of this is happening. And I know Miley. we all weren't really playing on it, so I didn't know what was going to happen. And then it it just one piece kept coming together every single day. But, but with we that, also have to hang up. We also have to throw some love to Chad Smith, yeah, Chad from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who played the drums on it, and is insane as always. And I, as he gets older, he gets more and more youthful. And I don't even know how the fuck he is doing. He played what he's a lot doing, on but, classic hearts. But Robert and Chad, you, did you and Chad play together? Actually, I played. Uh, I think, I don't recall, maybe I played just after him, but what the beauty of this thing was we all um, were feeding off of Miley's vocal, yeah. and that's what inspired us and, and uh, kind of drove us into this, this place, you know, with our instruments and channeled that energy. So it was Miley's voice that inspired us to deliver that performance that you hear on that track. From myself to Chad, I think this is one of the best... No disrespect to the Chili Peppers, but Chad really stepped up. He he played this song like a badge of honor, and I was I was there. I saw it, and it was a beautiful moment. And I think it's one of the best tracks he's ever recorded. Oh wow! So with all I don't, that, I, but I, Robert, I don't understand how. Uh, and to Miley's credit, I don't understand. And James, as you as a singer, how you sing to a click track? I mean, if it's just click clock, click clock, going back and forth. I mean, and you're singing a song. I would want to hear some guitars or drums or something to sing to it. Yeah, that seems a melody on there. That Watt Andrew... was in the room and Watt had an acoustic and we gave whole notes. So just strumming each note before on the click track to give me a pitch reference. That's good. But pretty much nothing. Uh, I have a video of it because it was kind of so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> because this song... I mean, for Robert to say that, but really when I play it, and sometimes we even do it this way too with our timing, because especially as it kind of all starts to resolve, it's not super structured because there's so much emotion to the song that as the song, it kind of falls apart in this nice way, which is kind of impossible to do to the click track because the point of a click track is for it to be the in perfect time. Um, and so to find that feeling of kind of, the song it it needs to fall apart because of what the lyrics are and um 
that that was a bit i mean it wasn't really challenging because i know the song so well because i've listened to it so many times um, well it, it sounds incredibly yeah. difficult and uh, and i, I want to tell you something based on what i'm hearing i'm going to send all of you a giant penis statue because uh, you you deserve it you really do thank you uh, I already way, have 16 it. of them, but I'll take a 17th. I didn't know you had 16 uh, uh, penis statues. Big in the house, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robert, I'll did you hear the discussion one. before okay. you guys came on? We asked who is the greatest bass player of all time, and of course you agree with me that it was Jack Bruce. Am I correct? My, Hell no. Jack Bruce is amazing. It's Robert Trujillo, <laughs> by far. No, I'm not counting Robert. I'm talking about in terms of the history of bass players that you know that you've been influenced by. Uh, you know, I, I, am I correct? Why are well, you Jack feeding Bruce? him? Let him tell you who it is. <laughs> because I, because he needs to agree with me. He needs to. Uh, I agree with you, Howard. I, I, I agree with there you, you too, Howard. I'm I'm a big Jack Bruce fan, so I think he's definitely but up. Robert, there. who who would you put up there at the top? Well, it, when you get into that mode, there, there, I look at so many different players for so many different reasons. Obviously, Jaco Pastorius for Great. his edge and attitude, as you know. But yes, then, and you made a film that, about him, did you not? Jaco Pastorius. Yeah, yes. yes. But then yes. Geezer Butler, man, I, I love Geezer. I always have him on that pedestal. Um, this the way he bends the notes and he feels everything he's playing. So that's a tough question, you know. Uh, also, right. remember we're, to we're talking about drummers. Remember we're talking about uh, yeah. Neil Peart versus John Bonham. But I think you got to put Geddy Lee, who was the bass player in Rush. Right. He's up at the very top of that list also, isn't he? Absolutely. Geddy Lee, I used to play uh, YYZ in Backyard Parties when I was in 11th grade, you know. <laughs> Down I was in, always uh, upset that I looked LA. like Geddy Lee. Uh, not a great look, honestly. <laughs> Never got a lot of girls. <laughs> All right, guys, listen to me. Uh, Miley, I would imagine this is a big deal. Have you guys rehearsed this all together, or is this literally the first uh, time we, you're playing it? Barely. We've, uh, we've uh, stumbled through it. Um, when did you stumble through it? It's, it's, yeah. it's with a lot of heart. It's with a lot of heart. Miley, are you nervous doing this with the band? Uh... Am I nervous? It's a different no. feeling than nervous. No, I'm nervous. I'm always nervous to sit here because this show sometimes, this, especially this room. You know what I really miss, Howard, is doing it in the room where we get yeah. to have this conversation with you. Because how you were saying the vocal really like kind of fed the instrumentation. When you're in the room, mm. it feeds this whole conversation. And so right. I just miss you, Howard. But I miss doing yes. songs in that way because I like when the conversation leads into the song in an organic yep. way. Because yeah, when you're, absolutely. when we were just having that conversation with Elton and listening to what James was having to say about writing it and fear and the word that kept getting used was acceptance. Um, y'all accepting the music, the lyrics, Elton, how he loves to be a session player. And you and I have had the conversation before that you kind of found your sound through covers, right? Absolutely, you guys yeah. covering. Yeah, Metallica started as a cover band, too. And so that's what resonates with me the most is because I have found myself through other artists like Metallica. Nothing else matters. You know, Angels Like You is a song I did with Watt, which is my pop rock version of a of a song like nothing else matters um so you take these little parts from you become this mosaic of artists that you love and that you respect so i'm very excited i don't love how much hype there's been around it beforehand i'd rather sing mm -hmm. it and know it goes well than say miley fucking crushes it and then i botch it so we'll see <laughs> we'll see what happens but the good thing is that since it's your show howard and since we're all just fairly comfortable we've done your show what four or five times and yeah. i agree with what miley's saying being up in uh up on the 50th floor there in new york and and having uh, you and Robin right there with us yeah. is, is such a great and inspiring uh, way to play. Um, yeah. But you know, the good thing is that... I miss we, you too, Robin. If, if we fuck it up, then uh, we'll just do it again. Yeah, right? there, you there you go. There you go. I don't want to put damn. any pressure on you guys at all. I mean, come on. But uh, anyway, this and is... thanks for letting us cut into your meditation time, Howard. Yeah. Yeah. Meditation time. <laughs> you don't know. You know, you guys are wise asses. You're all, you're all still relatively young. No, 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 young. no, no. Honestly, I know having a, a structure is important, and I guess, yes. but th yes. I, I am actually saying thank you 
uh, and I hope you get your time in that you need. And Howard, you Thank know, you. I, Thank you. I understand about the whole meditation thing because I've been meditating for over 20 years and it is what? important, man. So yep. thank you for sacrificing that time. Now, what has happened to me? Meditate during the song. No, no, what has happened to me? I've become such a creature of habit that whenever we do something, I, listen, I wanted to come through for you guys. I didn't want to be thank sort you. of uh, low energy. So, you know, whatever. Forget about me. Let's do this. Let's celebrate the Black Album. Let's celebrate this band. Let's celebrate Miley with the band and try it. And Miley, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. <laughs> no, I'm saying. Why would you say that? There's no pressure. You're here with friends. And, and it's going I don't to be want, great. <laughs> I don't want you to feel any pressure whatsoever in this performance. This is, uh, we are, oh, we are all fans of you guys. Uh, Miley, thank you for doing this, and uh, Metallica together, and we celebrate the Black Album. And this is one of the songs that Miley really enjoys. This is uh, Nothing Else Matters, and they're going to do their version of it We're together. We're celebrating their album, and they're giving us a treat. That's that's crazy. right. <laughs> I'm excited about this. Miley Cyrus with Metallica, um, Nothing Else Matters. Miley's uh, changing into a Gucci outfit. <laughs> what song are we doing? What song are you doing? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> you guys know how to do this. Come on. Here they go. Saturday night. So close, no matter how far. listening to uh, just whatever those guys are doing over there yeah i like i like hearing the warm-up well they're having a discussion too something's going on what's going on james we're back oh here they go okay <laughs> i feel like uh, i'm spying on them or something how to do it how to get it done You're up, Kirk. Open myself 
What can I say? Take that with you. Man. Well, let's do an analysis here. How'd that feel, Miley? I mean, what's it like to front that band? I would always do it again. Um, oh. What does it feel like to front the band? 
Yeah. Feels pretty fucking good. Today is a good day. <laughs> I'm making music tonight in the studio working on my next record, and I'm pretty excited about the flex that I'll have when someone tells me what to do, and I say, fuck you, I played with Metallica this morning. I'm doing whatever they, whatever I want. I guarantee you didn't do that. You know? Uh, boy, boys, we can safely say Miley crushed it, right? And, and seeing no, James... I fucked up no doubt. Fuck yeah. I you, wish I would have done something else in the second verse, but it's fine. What did you want to do? I, I Next mean, time. What would you... Have, Next what would you have done in the second verse? On the second verse, on the record, I do the octave above, which I wish I would have done, and usually I kind of was, but I was just laying down in the low stuff. So, you know, I would, I would do it again, but it's all good. Right. I say that every time I leave your show. Doll parts, I went through a million fucking times after I left, and what I'll oh, do differently kidding. the next time. We've never done it again. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> of all performers, you guys know this Metallica. Song. Yeah, you guys know this in Metallica. You, whenever you do a performance, you always you, you, you do the, uh, the the post game wrap up, and you're like, "Oh shit, I should have done this. I should have done that." You can drive yourself crazy, right? Uh, we we kind of nowadays we used to like twenty thirty years ago we get back in the dressing room after the show and we would say you fucked that up you <laughs> fucked that up no you fucked that up no you, that was too fast that was too slow you know what we do now we get back in the dressing room we kind of go wasn't it really funny when we fucked that part up yeah, yeah. wasn't it hilarious when yeah. that went completely sideways yeah. and so now we celebrate yeah, yeah. hey did you guys hear me screw that part <laughs> up <laughs> yeah we did yeah, did okay, you hear so, me play the wrong solo oh, yeah, the wrong key it's like now we just celebrate being alive and fucking being able to do this at any level, you know? I think another well, uh, thing that's, that's, sorry, that's just changed live music a lot, um, which I'm so happy to be back in real life doing concerts, seeing the fans and seeing the reactions. Because the reactions in person when you see the audience light up, even when you fuck up, because they're so excited to be there and experience that. Because they've listened to this record a million times. So when they hear you fuck up, they know that it's live. They know they're experiencing something that's one of a kind versus, you know, online. I think you would have definitely been more pissed at each other with fucking up if you had the online scenario of everyone feels like you know kind of validated the comment section is a very dangerous place that Absolutely. i don't visit anymore oh, um, especially when smart. i'm confronting something like metallica where you know it's just our fans you know and their perspective of me so I, that's why i feel so lucky when they said you know kind of validating this this version that i do because when i first covered it a lot of people said at glastonbury that it was okay, but you know, there's always the diehard fans that are like, come on, don't fucking, don't trash Metallica, don't bring Metallica into this. So now the comment section is somewhere that I don't, I don't frequent very often, but it changes everything. Live music is about making mistakes. You are so right. Can you guys imagine coming up and having the, the, fucking social media with every asshole telling you when you, when you're not good enough and all, oh, it can be crushing. Uh, I'm with Miley on that. I don't read any of that shit because, uh, yeah. I don't want to hear about it. Um, uh, yeah, you know, there's plenty of death by internet if you want to look for it. Mm -hmm. And I got a, I got a tough enough time just being me. I don't need someone else, you know, helping putting me down. You know, <laughs> you do I, I need someone helping lift me up. You mm -hmm. know, uh, you did. You did spectacular. Thank you. You're, it was exactly how it was supposed to be. Cool. <laughs> and we'll do yeah, it a well. different way the next time. Exactly. And that's well, what I love about what you said about it's live, and so you get this performance. Mm -hmm. Yes, you don't get well, this any thing other way. That I, you know, now I think people got really used to also uh, streaming concerts at home, and part of the experience of the concert, you know, is I say for my fans when I go on tour, it gives them initiative to work hard because they go to work so they can buy this golden ticket to come see a concert. It gives them, it gives us reasons to live. When I was a kid, I washed windows for a summer so I could go see O Town, and that was it. So you know, this was this this gives initiative to my fans. It gives them a dream. And with streaming concerts, I haven't been doing it. I've been one of the only artists on a lot of these festivals that have declined streaming, not because I want to hold the concert for myself i want to share but i want people to have to come see me live to see me live because mm. when you make a mistake being in the room feeling the mistake hearing me go oh fuck turn on my ears oh fuck you know I i'm late on my timing that is such a special you gotta you know you had to be there kind of moment you want people to be envious of your experience at a concert not say well i saw it online too so i'm very private about my concert so my fans feel like they're getting an experience well, Miley, you crazy. I'm just making up that you coming from the, uh, you know, the TV world mm. 
and how everything had to be just perfect. And then, so you being able to go up live and screw things up, it's yeah. like, ah, well, it's I'm so free. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's free. Right yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you guys will hang out some more. What do you think, Miley? Well, this, is this a, oh, yeah. you, you, you will be hanging with Metallica. And uh, I like the juxtaposition of the two of you guys up there singing together and the whole band behind you. I like the whole thing. It was just fantastic. I thank you thank for you. doing this. It thank was you really so much. great. Good to see you. It was good seeing you. And I want to thank James for letting Kirk play on the song this time. Uh, how nice is that? Uh, <laughs> I, I want to thank uh, thank you, Howard, for creating the situation so that I can actually play on, on the song. <laughs> I was going to say, yep. did they have his guitar on? Did James let them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was on. It's a prop. By the I way, Miley. I unplugged Miley, the amp. I'm just here mainly for show. Miley, you'd be happy to know I checked the comments the on looks. social media. All my listeners oh, love God. you. They hate me, however, uh, according to this. <laughs> so so you're, you're, you're fine. This is a great celebration of a great album, the uh, Black Album, of course, uh, Metallica, 30 years. I want to talk some more about this. And uh, Miley, I want to thank you. I, I, are we losing you, Miley? Are you going away? Or are you? I'm out of here, but I love you and thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks, Miley. Again, with some music influenced by these guys. Yeah. Oh, man, uh, you, you're doing great. And, and that song was beautiful. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. All right. I'll it was, see you soon. It was, it was Bye. great. Thank you. There goes Miley Cyrus Bye. with Metallica. James, seeing you standing there while she sings the song is great. It was great stuff. It really was nice. She did it better than I could have this morning. You know, it's it is nice to actually view someone else singing the song and yeah. it's like oh I, I i i'm screwing up the guitar parts now but you know <laughs> I, I was just captivated it was nice it was nice to have someone else sing it were you nervous for her um no no, no. she's got something she's just yeah she's got something you know you believe that voice like of a, hers a sexual uh, thing or anything it's a right. it's like a aura it's a confidence it's a but it's a real realness to her that I, I super enjoy. Yeah. It's also super fun for us. Um, is this on? It's super yeah. fun for us to, uh, because it's different. It's a different interpretation vocally than, than what James does. So there's yeah. a different dynamic that happens musically and there's, uh, peaks and valleys and all that. And, and it's just super fun. The we ran it a couple of times yesterday and, uh, it's just super fun again. Like we talked about earlier, we haven't exactly been out of the house for the last year and a half, and we haven't been <laughs> yeah. a rock and roll band, and we haven't right. really done anything. So just to kind of come back to L.A. again for the first time, and for me, almost two years, and just rehearsal and all these great people that are in front of us here and sort of, you know, like, you know, uh, Blues Brothers style, getting the band back together again. Uh, it's just great. And then having Miley's energy come in and light up the room and then sing it like she did a couple times yesterday and just fucking nailing it like she just did now. I mean, it's, it's so much what fun. Is with, Lars, what is with her voice? I mean, it's, a, it's an unusually deep voice for a woman, right? I mean, to, to, to start out that low and to hit that, that, that kind of tone. Yeah, I mean, she definitely has uh, so much range. And like yeah. you're saying, she can start that low in the early verses and then go up to uh, those crazy registers at the end but it's so such a dynamic deliverance uh for me i'm back there on the drums uh just kind of being able to play around those high notes and putting different accents in around it and stuff it's super fun let me and ask also, you like, guys so we talked about yesterday it's a it's a different it's she delivers it differently than james does and so it's it's fun for us and 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 then the great thing about this record with all 53 of these songs is that everybody's got a different take on any of these songs and none of them are 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 the same obviously but also none of them are are anywhere near what we did with the record 30 years ago so that's so fucking cool let me ask you a couple of questions you guys about um about the whole black album first of all one of the things i read was that you guys said Three of you were going through divorces at the same time while the album was being recorded, and that had an effect on the music. I think it, it, now, maybe I'm reading into this, but was it because you were free of your uh, relationship problems that it somehow freed you musically, or it makes you happier, or were you all sad? What the hell was going on with that? Well, for me, just being in the studio and working on the music was a great opportunity for me to be away from my screwed up situation at home. So it was right. like a, a refuge, you know, 
working on this album, working on all the songs and whatnot, because I just didn't want to be at home. So I used it as a, a as a, a kind of a, a safe place. It's therapy. Absolutely. You know what's amazing? The stat on this album, the the um, the original 2009 uh, video of Nothing Else Matters has over one billion views on YouTube. Over one billion people have watched that. That blows my mind. I mean, to put out something. And, and, and when you make a song like Nothing Else Matters, you sit there going, who the hell knows if anyone's even going to respond to this thing? And, and, <laughs> and you, you know what I mean? You're just like, who knows? I don't know. It sounds good to me, but I don't know if anyone will like it. But then, and here we are years later celebrating it, one billion views. And, um, it's pretty crazy. Know, it, I, like, like I said before, just so many of these interviews we've been doing for this in the last week or two. How does it feel to have a legacy albums? How does it feel to have the biggest selling record of the last 20 years and, and all this other stuff? And I guess for me, like 30 years ago, it's like, oh my God, this is all so crazy cool. Now it's all more kind of just uh, surreal. I think it's, it's the right word. It is surreal. It, it just, I guess all star. We, celeb- we celebrate, like we circled earlier, we celebrate still being a band. We celebrate that we can be in the same room together. We celebrate <laughs> that we can still make music. We celebrate the next record and the ne- next record after that. And we were such a, a forward-looking band always. Uh, yeah, everything's mean- about this moment in the future. And there's this weird paradox of sitting talking about... You know, what did you do when you're 30 years ago when you walked into the studio to make this record? It's like, I'm more interested in walking into the studio next week to work on the next record. You know, so there's this weird juxtaposition about all that stuff about the past, but it's fucking crazy to have a record that's this uh, appreciated by so many people. You know? Yeah, it really is. And, and you're right. You don't want to get sucked into just thinking about the past and you want to think ahead. But what was the original title for the album was Married to Metal um, instead of the Black Album? <laughs> that- that was uh, because three of us were getting divorced, and it was that was just a joke. Uh, oh, it was a joke because that would have been a. I think that would have you know done in this great album if you called it "Married <laughs> to Metal," but it might have been a disaster. You know, um, uh, geez, uh, th- th- I just wanted to read these stats uh, since we're celebrating you guys. Polestar dubbed Metallica the biggest all-time touring band with 1.4 billion in ticket sales over their career. Only other band that sold more tickets was U2. That's it. Uh, you guys beat out everyone. The Black Album has sold over 30 million copies. Jeez. Uh, uh, Black Album. Uh, I mean, th- there's all these stats on the thing. It's it's really crazy. You know the guy who I, I got to ask you guys about this. And then maybe you can do another song from the album. But this guy who, pr- and I don't understand music, but you guys hired this guy to produce the Black Album all those years ago. This Bob, guy, what's his yeah. name? Bob Rock. Bob Rock. That's yeah. his real name. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe way. it. <laughs> right. First of all, yeah, it's weird. Like, I was like, well, how did you find this guy, Bob Rock? Because you guys are so tight. I, letting anyone in. And and when a guy is named Bob Rock, you go, get this fucking guy out of here. Uh, <laughs> you, no, you know we, what I mean? He, he, we had made three records with a, a wonderful, um, with a wonderful engineer from Denmark named Fleming Rasmussen, who, who certainly was great at getting the sounds we wanted executing our ideas and but there was not he wasn't really sort of producing us he 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 sort of ran the board and did the technical stuff and 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 was great but after four records uh it was time for us to do something different and um and like i said earlier there was this kind of reset and so we figured with some slower songs and and some simpler songs maybe we could also beef up the sound a little bit he had just made a great cult record uh, was it Sonic Temple? Uh, he had made the Motley Crue record, Dr. Feelgood, which had great Sonics. And we wanted just the band to sound bigger, bigger drums, bigger bass, and everything just sound bigger and, and just hit harder. And So what do you do, Lars? He, do you meet with the guy? Do you, do you say, hey, we yeah, heard some so, of this uh, guy's work? Somebody yeah. set up a meeting with him. Uh, James and I flew up to Vancouver. He was part of the whole, remember in the late 80s, all those great records coming out of Vancouver like Bon Jovi and Aerosmith, and everybody would go up to Vancouver and make records with Bruce Fairburn and his Little guy, Mountain? Little Mountain yeah. Studios. Yeah, And so James and I flew up to Vancouver. Vancouver. We had a couple of the rough demos in our pocket. Uh, we met with him. 
hung, uh, played him a couple, two, three songs. Uh, the song that we're going to do for you in a little bit. Uh, remember, he called it, this is the cashmere of the 90s or whatever. He goes, oh, my God, I can't believe Metallica is doing something like this. And his his whole thing was he felt that that we'd never captured what we were doing live on a record that our records were like i said they were very sterile they were very much about just execution and getting it perfect but there was no soul there was no vibe there was no attitude there was no swagger there was none of those adjectives and he said i can do that for you uh, a couple three months later uh we were in pre-production down in san francisco and we were sitting in a room kind of the, like the room we're in and the four of us and bob right there on a stool and halfway through the first song he goes uh how about changing the chords in that chorus and i remember we all looked at each other going excuse me like who the fuck are you did somebody how, say something? Uh, how did you get in here uh do you how do you dare suggest that we change anything in any of our songs we had that was so foreign did to you us. punch him james no. <laughs> no good for you no. uh, wasn't worth it uh, and yeah. so there, there was a lot of uh the first few months as we were getting to sort of know each other and as we were getting used to, because in some way, I, I think you could argue we were so, we lived so much in our own world. We were so autonomous and, and Bob, even though we, we wanted him to come help us, I think he also represented everything that we had resented over the years the the music business the 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 success the 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 the, the man whatever all that he, he sort of represented whatever it was that was fueling us to be contrary for all those years so it definitely took a couple three four months to get comfortable with that and then we'd sit there and do some takes uh that was a great take again the 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 benchmark was not fucking up it's like oh we just did a take without fucking up but that didn't mean that it had soul or it had vibe or it had attitude or, or it, you know so do it again it was like we just did it and then you know that was kind of with the drums with the guitar lead guitar with james's vocals i know it was a whole new thing for you obviously to get james to sing in a different way so it was just a whole we spent a year on that record here in la and it was um it was a crazy eye-opening experience a lot of uh a lot of uh, tumultuous times but and when we walked out of that studio a year later i didn't think we'd ever see this guy again but we ended up becoming best friends in the next subsequent year or two and we ended up working with him for another 15 years this guy bob rock i would love to read a book by him because i think he's an incredibly brave guy to deal with you guys because you're such a tight-knit band and when i whenever i see videos of him working with you this guy's pretty ballsy. Like, he'll stand up to James, and James is pretty intimidating to me. And, uh, he'll just stand up to James and say, you know, no, man, you know, we, we're gonna put, we're gonna put some, we're gonna put some cello on here. We're gonna add an orchestra on this album. And, and James, and he called James Dr. No, because James would say no. For this guy to, for this guy to stand his ground and say, fuck you guys. You guys are better than this. I can bring something out in you. Uh, he didn't acquiesce. He didn't bend to you guys. He actually stood his ground. And I, you know, in retrospect, I think uh, he deserves a lot of the credit for doing that. Absolutely. First man in, last man out. He was there uh, running the show, even even though we didn't want it. We didn't, like Lars was saying earlier, we knew we needed to change, but we didn't want to. <laughs> so mm -hmm. he was the guy that was helping us bridge uh, into that uh well dr no to dr maybe man mm. you know <laughs> it's like okay let's try but you, it but james could you tell right away that this guy might be right because when you start to hear these tracks evolve all of a sudden they sound more musical they sound fuller oh, they sound richer um so true it, howard so yeah, true yeah, uh, yeah i mean i remember being excited to bring my buddies in you gotta hear this you know wherever I may roam intro and blah, blah, blah. And they're standing there going, holy shit, this is amazing. And yeah. Yeah, I knew it was working. Yep. Yeah, it was so much yeah. fun because um, at that time, the guys in Guns N' Roses were recording their Use Your Illusion albums. Uh, the boys in Skid Row were here. There were so many friends of ours. And, and you know, this was back before you had to worry about leaks or Internet stuff or piracy or any of that. So it just, you know... Let's go, you know, meet for a drink or whatever, then check out what we're working on today. And you could play it without to somebody in the car or whatever, without worrying about it showing up on some website the next day. You know, so there was a freedom and there was a, a great camaraderie 
between like all the bands and just hearing music and getting like James is saying fueled by other people responding to what you were doing as a work in progress. You mean you don't get afraid that like if you if you play for uh, you know Skid Row or Guns N' Roses something unbelievable that you're doing that they might go in the studio and sort of like maybe not consciously but unconsciously sort of copy what you're doing you don't you don't worry about that no everybody was everybody was off doing their own thing everybody had their own sounds everybody was working with their own producers and had their own songs um we were just buddies that would meet up and get in trouble when we were done in the studio you know that was really it i have a story i remember back around that time in los angeles when Metallica was recording their album in Guns N' Roses, and I was playing in Suicidal Tendencies at the time, there was this magic in the area because Lars is right. Everybody was was writing and recording and super excited. But then at the same time, there were a lot of gigs. So down at, you know, at, at a club with no name or Madam Wong's West, you know, you know, Danzig would be, you know, Danzig would be playing down the street or, you know, even like, you know, a, a band like Primus or something. It was always going on, Social D. So the energy was happening. There was a lot of Metallica sightings and that was uh, um, exciting in itself, you know. I remember yeah. seeing James, I remember seeing James at Madame Wong's West in Santa Monica and I think I was drunk and I asked him if, you know, he if I could jam, uh, uh, like creeping death with him or something. And he goes, if I'm going to jam with anybody, I'm going to jam with Glenn. <laughs> you know, I'm going to jam with, I'm going to jam with Glenn Danzig. <laughs> right. So those were, Sorry, Rob. Uh, I, I would have said the same thing, but I'm just saying that the energy in town yeah, it was, was great. There really was like, fun back it was, then. it was back in the day where there was like a different club, you know, like on, Sundays you'd go to the Cat Club. Ricky Rackman was hosting, and then on Tuesday, those Bordello, remember yeah, you'd Bordello go to, yeah, Bordello, yeah. So you'd go to different, and you'd see all the same people, and and it was just like your friends. I remember, you know, like uh, when you were just saying that. So I remember when Allison Chains came into town, yeah. the first time. It's like. The first band out of Seattle, there's this new thing. This was even before Nirvana and Pearl Jam. You'd sort of heard about Soundgarden and, and Chris Cornell and, and all that greatness. But at the the next band is coming down from Seattle. They're in town. Will you show them a good time? And then we'd meet like the Alice in Chains boys. And I remember like playing pool with them the first couple of days at a few CD bars. But it was very much... Uh, a community and it was just so much fun. I mean, we were down here for a whole year and it was just that, uh, pretty much every night. But it, I think everybody kind of inspired each other and, and, you know, everybody was do, I, I, I mean, to answer your question from before, I mean, I don't think anybody felt that, you know, all of a sudden Skid Row was going to do something from the Black Album, whatever. Everybody was already <laughs> well enough established and had their own sound, but there was a real sense of, uh, camaraderie and and vibe and we were all just hanging out and end up in the same places every night at 11 11 or midnight it's like okay why is there no I scene like that <laughs> why is there no scene so we're in london yeah. and uh, we're hanging out at, at, a, at a hotel with uh sebastian bach and lars and i are in in this room there's a bunch of people of us and sebastian was so excited about what we were going to do with the next record this would have been death magnet Magnetic period. He's like, come on, Lars, man. I can't wait to hear this music. He grabs Lars's feet. He goes, I want to hear some shit like fight fire with fire. Come on, Lars. And he's grabbing, <laughs> he's grabbing Lars's feet. He's like pulling on his pants, like double, you know, it, he was basically trying to, you know, uh, mimic double kick, you know, drumming uh. with the feet. <laughs> that he guy. Such, he's yeah. a character. That guy is such a character. He came on my show one time. He walks in, he pulls down his pants and he tied a knot in his penis. <laughs> did you ever see him do that he tied that his I penis in yeah he walked in and tied his penis in a knot and i was like wow i never saw schlong so big it was like fucking crazy like what Maybe a show bottle right <laughs> it was think, crazy to answer your question from before i think probably now because um everybody's just texting each other and and you know you got snapchat things knowing where all your friends are or whatever i mean i see it in, in my son's phone it's like his 29 friends they have the exact locations of where everybody is back then it was more about being under the radar but i think because there was a different night every place you knew on sunday night that all your buddies were going to be at the cat club you knew on monday everybody would have, you didn't have to sit and you know, call everybody or look at a social media or whatever. That was just the hang for that particular night. Um, so it, it worked out well, but obviously, you know, it was just a different time.
Man, I social media is ruining everything. It, social media is ruining the whole fucking everything, I tell you, the way you were describing it. But let, let me just harp on this one more time, because we're, by the way, in case you're just tuning in, we're doing a special edition of the show. We're celebrating with Metallica. Amazing accomplishment. 30 years anniversary of uh, Black Album, Bandsmen Together. What, 40, how many years? 40? 40. Uh, 40th anniversary 40, Jesus, of this fall. Crazy. And and uh, and there's so much to talk about, but it just, just let me just let me clear up a couple of things in my mind here. The guy who produced the album, I read somewhere, uh, whatever he owned of the, in other words, when you guys make an album, everybody owns a little chunk of the publishing or whatever. He sold his piece of the black album, and to me, that's surprising. Only in that, if I owned a piece of the black album, which I mean, Kaching, uh, in terms of publishing. Um, uh, I would never do it because I would get a check every year that would just, you know, would basically pay my entire nut. So you, so to me, isn't that surprising to you? Did you talk to Bob about that? Why he sold his piece of the uh, album? Well, you know, I, you know, I talked a little, a, a little uh, to Bob about it, and you know, his whole thing is that you know he's getting older, and there's still things he wants to do. And right. so that was his rationale. There's still music he wants to make and, you know, stuff he wants to, to accomplish in his life. And that helped him do it. Were you more guys? Power to him. Yeah, more power to him. But you guys, you guys are in the business of buying up uh, classic rock tunes and stuff, right? You guys have your own publishing business and, um, and, and which is fascinating to me. I'd love to hear a little about that. You guys actually buy up songs, right? And 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 have um and have made a business of that. Am I correct? It's something that we're the, in the early stages of. Yes, yeah. Hey, what songs do you own? I mean, I wonder. What, <laughs> does it matter? Like, would you buy "Yummy, Yummy, Yummy"? I got love in my tummy. Uh, you would. <laughs> you want to own yeah. it? Kirk, Kirk, Kirk wants to own that one. Kirk wants to own uh, that. But is it only no, a I mean, certain type of? No, no, no. I mean, there's a there's a lot of great. There's a lot of great artists, obviously. There's a lot of great catalogs, and there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of songs that that have, you know, just I don't know, take somebody, uh, pick somebody, like the zombies. You know, you know right. the zombies. We know the zombies. We all know the zombies. But they're just like continuously played on the radio and continuously streaming. And and we felt a couple of years ago that we have such an awesome team and such a great group of uh of managers and people around us and we have our own record company and and we you know worked so hard to kind of do our own infrastructure and and just be autonomous and and kind of do our own thing so we felt maybe we could contribute something to to other artists and help uh we've been schooled uh, by our managers to be very uh, protective of our own stuff and to really care about what happens to it and and at the same time then we feel that we can look all our fans